Soy Una Zombie. That's the name of the song that I probably just horribly mispronounced. It's by the band Los Tiki Phantoms, and it appears on the album of the same name. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. By permission of the band, this is episode 39 of Monster Kid Radio. I am Derek M. Cook, your producer and host of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And I am excited for this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Not only do I have part two of my discussion of The Crimson Ghost with Eric Peterson, where we're going to talk about the movie itself again and a little bit about how it influenced, okay, a lot about how it impacted and influenced music and then kind of the similarities between serials and punk. And it's a very music heavy discussion that I really enjoyed. I hope you guys enjoyed as well. But the other thing that I'm excited about in this episode is I'm about to go into the Joy Cinema. I'm actually outside right now in the parking lot of the Joy Cinema here in Tigard, Oregon. We're going to watch the Satanic Rites of Dracula. This is the final Hammer film featuring Cushing and Lee as Van Helsing and Dracula, respectively. I love this movie. It's actually probably the movie that I've seen the most when it comes to the Hammer Dracula films because it appears in a lot of those public domain collections, Mill Creek sets, and things like that. Is the movie truly public domain? I've heard some arguments that it might not be anymore because of how copyright laws work here in the U.S. versus the rest of the world and Europe. That said, it has made its way into a lot of homes, and I've watched it a lot. I've actually watched it earlier this year when the movie was hosted by Midnight Mausoleum. Well, now I'm going to go see it on the big screen. I've been really lucky because this month I've seen, well, this will make Hammer Film number two, classic Hammer Film number two on the big screen for me. So we're going to be doing that here in a second. Of course, we have our contact information. If you need to get a hold of us, please email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or send us a voicemail at 503-4795-MKR. I heard from one of our listeners, Jeremiah, this week, who wanted to call in and let me know what features of the website and the podcast that he uses. Since he's not on Facebook, he wasn't able to participate in the poll that I have set up over there. Obviously, we have the podcast when it comes to Monster Kid Radio. We have a YouTube channel. We've got a Flickr album. We've got a Live 365 channel. I'm trying to make some decisions about what we're going to do with Monster Kid Radio in 2014. And I was asking listeners to go and participate in that poll on our Facebook group. However, if you don't have access or don't use Facebook, obviously you can't participate. So feel free to drop me an email or a voicemail to let me know. Do you listen to just the podcast or do you use the YouTube channel or do you listen to the Live 365 radio station? Do you care about the Flickr album? Let me know. It'll help me make some decisions. Like I said, moving forward into the new year. I'm going to head into the Joy Cinema to go watch this movie. While I'm doing that, you guys and gals can check out part two of my discussion of The Crimson Ghost with Eric Peterson right after this. What's up, everybody? This is Bill. And this is Chris. From Outside the Cinema. We're here to give you the reasons why you should be listening to Outside the Cinema. One, we cover kick-ass movies. Two, we cover kick-ass movies. Okay, this isn't going to work if you continue this way. Oh, really? I'm not supposed to echo what you say? Three, I'm good-looking. Four, I would agree with that. And five, your life pretty much depends on it. This is Kane Hodder. Keep listening to Outside the Cinema, or I'll kill you. OutsideTheCinema.com. It's on the fucking internet. Outside the cinema, your source for cult movie discussion. You 
mentioned music, and we have to talk about music. That's uh, your background, especially when it comes to things like the Misfits and such. What is the connection here? I mean, we talked briefly a little bit about it. Punk rock is, is really all about the energy, whether it was Johnny Cash and Elvis doing Rockabilly in the 50s or you know the Kingsmen doing Louie Louie in the 60s. It's all about the energy and the attitude and just doing something and you know kind of a, a kinetic energy, and that's what the serials had. And that kind of grew in, I think, a lot of ways to the, the pop art and the comic books of the 1960s, which was the, the other big influence on bands like the Misfits and the Ramones. And when those bands were starting out, you know, they, they weren't going to do, you know, the, the same old love songs or the, the same old songs about the man getting you down. They were singing about what they knew, which was a lot of this pop culture that they had absorbed as children. That's kind of what appealed to me. At a certain point, you get really tired of the, my baby left me or I'm so in love, which, you know, that's fine. But at, at a point, certain point, you're like, I want something more. I want something that tells a story. I want something that's an audio comic book or, you know, that's got a sense of fun to it. And that's what I think, for me, hooked me in. And I think that especially the Misfits and the Ramones reflected that sense of fun in their music most of the time. And that's why they're, I think, pointing back to this earlier mass media that was supposed to be consumable, that was fun and energetic and youthful in a lot of ways, and just something to do. Okay. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. I don't have a lot of experience when it comes to the punk music side of mm -hmm. things. I just wasn't something that I latched onto when I was growing up listening to music and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, my musical journey is all all over the map when it comes to the kind of things I well, listen you know, to The, the truth is, for, for most of us, it is. You know, that's, that's not to say that, for me, I, I do enjoy listening to you know, instrumental music, and I enjoy listening to all kinds of stuff. You, you play a lot of uh, garagey, surfy music on, on the show, and a lot of that influenced punk rock, too, because that was a lot of you know, kids going to the beach or going to the, the teen clubs that were really big in the 60s, and, and it was just fun and energetic and you know, kind of jump up and down and not too serious. And that's also what was reflected in a lot of ways in what a band like the Misfits or what a lot of horror punk bands were doing. They weren't talking about the politics or the issues with life. They were talking about having fun and having, you know, something that they were into that was, was kind of off the beaten path. So is that what it is? Just kind of a level of engaging in media that makes you feel good, basically, versus getting into the serious kind of or I think that's a big part of it. There's a certain amount of blowing off steam and a certain amount of just something that's kind of more upbeat. I mean, it, okay. I mean, the Misfits lyrically are very dark, but their their music is really energetic. I mean, the early stuff especially it's really energetic, and there's definitely a rockabilly and a surf influence and a garage influence. And basically, at the time, they weren't necessarily the big tough guys. Some of them were, but but they're trying to put out that image of being, being tough guys and, and pulling in the Crimson Ghost logo and the skeleton gloves and the that kind of thing also it helped them with putting out that image and then danzig also would like pull on iconography yeah. from like comic books and things like that oh yeah it, it wasn't there a comic book logo or image that was used as a logo he famously used the captain harlock skull which is uh, a japanese manga cartoon i think from the 70s that, that he used uh you know, they used Angry Red Planet for their iconic album cover for uh, Walk Among Us, which, of course, is a reference to the creature. You know, they had song titles that were referencing films like Astro Zombies and Night of the Living Dead, Die, Die, My Darling. I mean, they, they were bringing in all of that kind of low horror comic booky culture. Danzig was a huge Jack Kirby fan. 
fact, I believe he was at Jack Kirby's funeral and was one of the pallbearers. And so they, they were totally absorbing that kind of pop art of their childhood, but also that was still out there kind of um, percolating in the, uh, the culture. And then he also uh, grabbed an image from uh, a comic called Crystar the Warrior for another project, didn't he? Um, that that skull from Sam Hain or Sullen? It, yeah, I think so. I'm familiar with, with Sam okay. Hain, but, but not, you know, that's kind of where I fall off with him. I mean, okay. he's got some, some good music there, and some of the dancing stuff is pretty good. But I just, okay. that's not, an, I have friends that were really into the, to that sound in that era. But he did bring in a lot of other comic book imagery. Mm. They were pretty liberal in what they grabbed to use. I do find it fascinating that these monster movies, these horror movies, especially of like the 50s and 60s, and that kind of culture creeping into certain types of music, punk, surf, yeah. things like that. You don't see that in a lot of R&B. You don't see that in a lot of, nope. you know, unless it's early white rap from like the 90s. You don't see that in a lot of hip in much hip hop. Yeah. You know, you don't see that in these other genres. So I'm always fascinated by it. Things like the Groovy Ghoulies, I mean, they got their name from the cartoon, didn't they? They did. They did. And they were very much, you know, you want to talk about a band that was, a, that was largely about having fun and doing something for the kids. And, you know, I, I've actually seen, I saw them play, I don't know, probably a dozen times over the years. Super nice people. Always a high energy show. Always very accessible to their fans. The main guy, Kepi, who formed the band and now is, is a solo artist. You know, his latest album was actually Kepi for Kids. So he's very much attuned to to that that fun element of the horror sci-fi genre. And he actually put out an art book recently of his kind oh, of wow. they're not he's not a very super polished artist, but he's a very kind of <laughs> cartoony, comic booky fun artist, and it's a lot of like cute bats and Godzilla style monsters and all that kind of stuff. And he's a super nice guy. Super nice guy. You've ever seen the Tom Petty video for Free Falling? He's in that. Kind of, oh, he's one of the yeah, there's that lyric about the was it the vampires on Hollywood Boulevard, and there's like three skateboard kids leaning into the car window. He's one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's like I said, he's super nice. I've met him a dozen times. He's always hopped up in caffeine. That's his drug of choice. He, <laughs> he doesn't drink. He's really into the Ramones. He likes a lot of different music. You know, he uh, he plays a little bit of country here and there. Uh, he's basically built this career of touring and doing his art and. After the Groovy Ghoulies kind of fell apart, he he just kept on going. He's still out there. I mentioned earlier that my musical journey has been all over the map. I mean, mm -hmm. I grew up listening to rap because I thought I was going to be a rapper when I grew up. <laughs> yeah, don't judge me. Um, I'm not. That's okay. <laughs> well, you know what? I, rap and punk are are very closely related in that they grew out of you know street movements of young people that were disaffected. And oftentimes we're trying to say something about their worldview and what was going on around them. And rap really took off commercially where punk kind of fizzled and until you get to maybe Nirvana, which kind of brought back a lot of that. So, I mean, they're, they're not mutually exclusive as, as far as, as what their primary impulse is. Sure. And they're well, both energetic, too. That's the other thing. Didn't the Beastie Boys start out kind of punkish? And then they yep, went? And, they, and yeah. they actually opened for the Misfits. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah. They famously opened for the Misfits back in the early 80s. Huh. Well, you know, like I said, I started with the rap. I mean, mm -hmm. film, movie soundtracks have been there my whole life. A few years ago, I started getting into a certain some metal, especially Iron, okay. Iron Maiden. Love Iron yeah. Maiden. And according to the Wikipedia page for The Crimson Ghost, The Crimson Ghost appears in one of their music videos. I, I've never seen really a music video by Iron Maiden. Maybe I'm a bad Maiden fan, but 
How does, was, have you seen, are you familiar with that video at all? Or? I'm not familiar with that video. I am, uh, I'm a, an Iron Maiden fan. I like Iron Maiden. They kind of cross over from the um, sound and energy. Uh-huh. So I actually started off as more of a metal guy before really getting into, into punk rock. And um, for me, there was a soundtrack for a film called Dudes, which is a punk western. And yeah, with half, uh, Daniel Roebuck. Yeah, and uh, John Cryer. And, and uh, half, is it Catherine Mary Stewart, the other one? Is oh, yeah. The woman? I, I love that movie. <laughs> that, that movie's one. Of, that movie's one of the two films that changed my life. The other one's Return of the Living Dead. Oh wow! Okay. And the soundtrack for Dudes is well, about half metal, half punk, and there's some stuff like Jane's Addiction that would become known as alternative. So you had like Wasp and Keel and Megadeth on that soundtrack, mm-hmm. and and I picked up on that along with the punk rock. And at the time, a lot of the thrash metal that was coming out was was influenced by punk rock. You look at Metallica. You know they were big Misfits fans. They covered the Misfits. So they knew this stuff. And in England, you had uh, Judas Priest and you had Iron Maiden who were also playing with the, you know, maybe more structured, orchestrated sounds, but definitely had that horror film background and input. Dudes is something that I checked out uh, not too long ago. It was after meeting mm-hmm. Daniel Roebuck at a horror okay. hound who's a huge monster kid. Yeah, yeah. So to kind of bring it back to the to the clubhouse, to the wheelhouse here, Musket okay. Radio. Definitely need to check that movie out. If you haven't seen it, it's a great film to begin with. And then, you know, obviously it's impactful as well. So Yeah. <laughs> An well, important I could, movie. I could, I could go on and on about that movie. But it, it like the Crimson Ghost, it's also a genre bending film. You take you take the Western and you you put it together with, you know, the this punk film. Whereas, you know, in a lot of ways Crimson Ghost is it's a have you ever seen Doctor Mabuse Mabuse? It's this German film and there's a series of them that's about the supervillain, basically. And yeah. That's what the Crimson Ghost is. So you take the supervillain and you, and you put it together with the kind of action serial thing. And that's that's where the Crimson Ghost comes in, I believe. Oh, he comfortably lives in both worlds. I could see him hanging out with the Joker. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm actually surprised that we don't – and we mentioned this earlier. I'm really surprised there's nothing more being done with this character. I believe the serials fall – um, maybe I, I could be wrong. Has the serial fallen into the public domain? Do we know? I do not know. Well, with you know, because we know that they re-edited it for television and they re-edited it as a film, that might have re-upped the copyright. I, I don't know enough mm. about that okay. to, to really say. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of the ones that's still in copyright. Although, who knows how long that's going to last? Yeah, the public domain waters are murky and... Yeah, <laughs> hard to navigate sometimes, and what might well, be public domain today won't be public domain tomorrow. So, and it, it also, you know, we we live in a world now that I can go online and order stuff from Australia or from Japan or from, you know, Finland, and all of those places have different different kinds of laws about copyright. Uh, I know that they're having an issue, or they were having an issue a decade ago in Europe, where the copyrights for a lot of the early rock and roll stuff were expiring. As far as film, I don't know much about music, uh, which I imagine has got to be a whole different oh, yeah. ball game because you've got different sets of lawyers and rules and laws involved. Oh, yeah. When it comes to film, I know the U.S. courts are now upholding copyrights that may have expired here in the States but are still valid in Italy or Europe and things like that. That's why you don't see a lot of the Santo movies, for example, being covered by horror hosts anymore because yeah. you know they might be copywritten by Mexico still. Yeah, it's just a weird, like I said, it's murky yeah. at best. If the Crimson Ghost was public domain, there is a small movement in the literature side of things uh, called New Pulp. 
mm-hmm. where they're going through these writers are taking public domain pulp characters and writing new stories about them. You see them in the comics as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, DC and Dynamite, comic book companies like that, are taking these public domain characters and telling new adventures with these public domain characters. So, I'm, if the Crimson Ghost was public domain. I'd write that story. Sign me up. I mean, <laughs> I want to tell more stories of the Crimson Ghost. I think that there's there's probably a, a a place for licensing the Crimson Ghost for comic books or for this, this new pulp movement. If if he is if the Crimson Ghost is in the public domain, then I would not be surprised to see it, people pick up on that. You mentioned at the very beginning that you were able to pick it up at a Suncoast video store, which yeah. was one of my jobs as a movie geek growing up in the 80s and 90s. Uh, <laughs> try, try not to have too many flashbacks when you brought it up, but is it easy to get your hands on now? I There's a DVD on Amazon that you can order that I don't really have much information about. It, it is on YouTube, so I mean it, that's easy enough to access. I don't know that whoever owns Republic Pictures uh, catalog is, is who knows what they're, they're looking at with this. You know, you mentioned we're in a weird place with copyright. We're also in a weird place with distribution because yeah. – you have basically a model where the old model is going away. We're seeing more and more films that are being dropped as catalog titles by uh, by the studios and becoming burn on demand, a la the Warner Archive, who I think they're doing great work, by the way. So who knows where the Crimson Ghost will fall in that field. And also, there's not a huge movement, but there is a small movement to get black and white films on Blu-ray. To be honest, I'm surprised no one has decided that Hey, we own the rights to this. We should put it out, clean it up, put it on a Blu-ray. Maybe throw in some special features. Maybe get the you know, especially any of those misfits guys involved because you can sell that like crazy. Oh yeah, I, you were talking about you know these studios dropping their studio titles. I'm thinking you've got these boutique studios, and I don't mean this you know insultingly at all. No, I know what you're talking you've about. got like Scream and Shout Factory and Synapse and Blue Underground. Yeah, you've got these smaller groups that. Granted, they would have to license the film if, if it's not public domain or they mm-hmm. don't already own the license, which can sometimes be a little cost prohibitive. Yeah. Uh, you know, I work for a film company as well who owns a number of European films from the 60s and 70s, a lot of spaghetti westerns and things like that. And when there's only one print in the world in a lab in Italy of a particular mm-hmm. film that's like clean and pristine, it's sometimes a little cost prohibitive to license that out to a studio that can only wants to put up like a thousand bucks for a movie. Yeah. That said – Something like the Crimson Ghost, you get somebody like you got the Misfits fans. I mean, you've got such a broad spectrum of audience oh, yeah. for something like that. I would love, I would be the first person to pre-order, you know, the Crimson Ghost on Blu-ray. Well, and and somebody like the Shout Factory, I don't know exactly what their business model is, but the way they've been working, it seems like they have a system in place. They obviously have distribution. They obviously have built a fan base. And who knows, maybe they can go to one of these studios and say, we want to license these properties, you know, and set up some kind kind of uh, an agreement or whatever that's going to be less cost prohibitive than being like, oh, we're going to do King of the Rocket Men and then come back and say, we're going to do the Crimson Ghost and then come back and say, we're going to do Radar Men from the Moon. They could probably set something like that up. Especially you, for a title like this, especially yeah. it's a serial from the 40s. I mean, it's not like... <laughs> Are you familiar with the, the history of the, the Shout Factory at all? Uh, a little bit. So my understanding is that the guys that founded it were the the same people that founded Rhino Records back in the 70s, and they made their name by repackaging and reissuing music. And then in the 80s, they got into the business of doing that with movies. And then they, they eventually sold Rhino and went on to form Shout Factory, which has spun off now Scream Factory. Right. So they have that history and those industry ties and that track record with reissuing things and making it profitable to to go to studios and say, let us license this, this, and this, 
and you'll get a return on your investment and we're taking all the risk. And I, I guess I'm under the impression that's what this label called Twilight Time. Are you familiar with them? I am familiar with Twilight Time. I'm not a big fan of the end product, to, okay. be, to be honest. I mean, I, I have a few other titles and I appreciate their philosophy. I mean, they call themselves Twilight Time because they believe we're in the twilight time of physical media and this is the yeah. last time these things will come out on Blu-ray. And I picked up their Night of the Living Dead 1990 remake and all mm -hmm. that. They don't do a lot of the special features, though, that have – they don't create new content yeah. outside of remastering something for Blu-ray and sometimes changing the, the coloring, but <laughs> – as in the no. case of the Night of the Living Dead release. I hear you. But, but uh, I mean, I, I like the idea of having it as a Blu-ray. I'm not a guy who's going all streaming. I got to have the physical product, so – Oh yeah, me too. I'm 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 at that point where you know I saw people get rid of their vinyl and get rid of their cassette tapes and get rid of their VHS and I did some of that. But now I'm, I'm at that point that's no, I have the physical format in my hand. It's still valid. I can still use it. I'm not giving it up. Yeah, it kind of makes for some cluttered bookshelves, but uh, I'm right there with yeah. you. I'm digging out all my old VHSs that I never got rid of, and I'm cursing myself for getting rid of some of them you know, over the years because I just oh, didn't I know you. any better, you know. Yeah, I, I hear you completely on that. I, I, I did that with way too many things. Mm -hmm. Now I'm being more selective. So, Yeah, definitely. I would love to see this come out on blue. Like I said, I'd be the first person to pick it up. I would love to see more Crimson Ghost stuff. Would you recommend people sit down to watch it all at one shot? I mean, we talked about how easy it is to watch, mm -hmm. but I watched a couple of episodes in a row, and I thought it held up just as one continuous sit-through. It, it does. I, I would say that uh, – I mean, it's three hours, but – Sit down and watch the first one or two episodes – and see what your experience is. If you're really into it and you want to keep watching, great. If not, you know, maybe come back the next day or like every day at lunch for two weeks at work or something like that. There you go. Give yourself something to look forward to on the lunch break. This is something to me that that if you have kids that are, you know, maybe 8 to 12, this could be something that you do like on a Saturday afternoon, watch a couple episodes or, you know, before they go to bed, we'll, you know, we get – 15 minutes of the Crimson Ghost, or maybe that's not the best idea. But, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying is that this is something that, that you can experience with family, with it being enjoyable, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we mentioned earlier there are people dying in this thing, but yeah. it's all off screen or hidden by something in the foreground. It's not gruesome. I don't, there's no blood. I mean, no, people are getting no. shot and falling over, but it's harmless. Violence. Yeah, it's, 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 car <laughs> it's somewhere above cartoony, yeah. but not quite, like you said, it's not graphic. I don't think it's any worse than Anything you would have seen in, you know, Condor Man or a, you know, a Disney oh, Western or Condor Man, dude, I love Condor Man. I, I do too. I'm saying that 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 level, that kind of yeah, kind of Disney level of peril. There's maybe one or two scenes where you you might go, ooh, that would hurt, but <laughs> you know, people falling off cliffs, getting dumped into electrical yeah. equipment, yeah, that would hurt. <laughs> that would hurt. I, I was thinking specifically, there's a scene with a with a drawer that I just was like, whoa, yep. wait a minute, that's a little more, more hardcore than I was. Yeah, expecting, but agreed, agreed. But uh, but good stuff, man. And and it's pretty easily available or viewable. YouTube's got it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's public domain for the record, but yeah. it is on YouTube, so you can check it out that way. Uh, I was able to find a DVD myself. It was a little more difficult to get on DVD than I thought, but it's still out there. Yeah. So highly recommended, Eric. Thank you for bringing the Crimson Ghost to the Monster Kid Radio Clubhouse. You're welcome. Where can people find you? We mentioned at the beginning. Let's wrap up and let people know where okay. to find you again so I, I am on the facebook you can find me on the monster kid radio facebook page i do have a blog it's uh restlesskind.blogspot.com i haven't updated it in a while I, I write about all kinds of movies music and books and just other kinds of odds and ends there i have a twitter account it's at i-r-e-n-z-e-r-o and if you you want to follow that basically I, I use it for this is the movies that i'm watching 
but if if you want want to find that, you can just hit me up on the Facebook page. That's that seems to be the place I am on weekly on Outside the Cinema with my music segment, and I'm on another podcast called Love That Album, where I'm I talk about music. So, yep. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back on again. Maybe talk about another serial or or pretty much whatever. I mean the yeah. Definitely. At this point, I think we know what the movies are that we cover here, and The Crimson Ghost is definitely in that wheelhouse. So, Very cool. Yeah, I, I was a little worried. I was like, wait, this isn't particularly a monster, but I was thinking, well, he's got a supervillain and a little sci-fi kind of thing going on. And it's got, definitely got the energy of, of what a lot of those 50s B science fiction monster yep. films would have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's enough off the beaten path that people might not be aware of it or might be a, a little hesitant about checking it out. You know, bottom line is it's my show. I decide so, okay. and I decide it counts. So, <laughs> good. I think I'll probably go out on that. <laughs> this was Fair. cool. I love this movie. I really do. It is one of my favorite discoveries of the year for me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It's so fun. I need to. You know, we didn't even talk about the directors, but I need to find more by these directors and watch more serials from Republic, because you know I don't have enough to watch. Yeah, well, I, I know that feeling. Definitely, I would. I would go with. Uh, I think King of the Rocket Men would be what I would check out next. King of yeah, the been, King of the Rocket Men. It's it's been a while since I watched it, but it is very much kind of in the the Rocketeer was kind of inspired by it in a lot of ways. Okay. 1949. Okay, I'm gonna track that down. And then from there you get the radar men from the moon and zombies of the stratosphere follow that. So. Well, one thing I didn't mention was you know the, the band Manor Astro Man. I'm oh sure yeah, that, I sure love that, those guys. But I've I've only I've only seen them once. But I think that a lot of what they do was was influenced by these kinds of serials as well. Oh yeah. Now I've got a couple. Of, I think I've got all their albums actually now. Got a couple of their CDs, and then over the years I've added. You know, I've gone to Amazon and bought mm-hmm. yeah, oh, yeah. that way. No, it's great stuff. Uh, and you, you've got the sound clips and all that. And I hear, and I've never seen them in person, but I've, I've heard they do a great stage show with showing clips of movies and such on stage and all that while they're doing their thing. And, well, I only, I only saw them once, and they were they were touring for the album Enac, so they had this big, massive, fake computer on stage. Oh, and, nice. and that's what they were doing in those days. One thing we didn't mention is that the, the actress who played Linda, did you read what she did later on in life? She went on to become a college professor, right? Yeah. I was like, Wow. She's in this film about college professors and spent, you know, the end of her, her life being a college professor. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I love that movie. I really do. I took a while to warm up to it, to be completely honest with you. I didn't like the ending the first time I saw the movie. I felt like after all the awesome climaxes in all the previous Dracula Hammer films, this one, I felt, fell flat. However, getting some time away from things and getting some age into me and that sort of thing, I actually find it quite satisfying. And I really kind of feel like it's the best way you could possibly end 
the Hammer Dracula cycle. It just kind of works. Yeah, they would come back and do the Kung Fu movie, but as far as the original Dracula franchise, it's a perfect ending, and I loved it. Big thanks to the Joy Cinema for bringing that in. Now, speaking of the Joy Cinema, in one we actually, by the time this episode goes out, in six days, Monster Kid Radio crashes the Joy Cinema for the Pacific Northwest theatrical premiere of the Christopher R. Mim epic, The Giant Spider. Christopher R. Mim has been a guest of the show. He's a friend of Monster Kid Radio, and he's one hell of a filmmaker. For those of you who might not have been listening yet before when we had Mim on the show, Mr. Mim creates what he calls good, bad movies, but he's being overly modest. He creates good, good movies. These are movies in the style of the 1950s monster and science fiction movies. He's been doing one a year, and The Giant Spider was released earlier this year. It's amazing. I love this film. I think it's his best to date. It's grand. It's epic. And another one of our listeners, Stephen D. Sullivan, compared it to Bert I. Gordon's films, which I think means a lot to Mim because Bert I. Gordon kind of influenced him when it comes to making these kinds of movies. So I'm excited for that. I just found out from Jeff at the Joy that I'm going to be introducing the movie. Yes, I will be horror hosting The Giant Spider. I'll introduce the film to the audience, and then I'm also going to have some copies of some of Mim's movies available for sale before and shortly after the film. Each movie sells for $10, three for $25, and a special deal if you buy, well, all eight, if we have enough in our inventory. And, well, you'll just have to come out to the Joy Cinema to find out if I do. Weird Wednesday is their regular series here at the Joy Cinema. It is free. Now, you have to be 21 or over to get in because they serve alcohol, but it is free to come see these movies. That doesn't mean you shouldn't expect to bring any money because you want to buy concessions and help support the Joy They've got pizza, they've got nachos, they got popcorn, they got beer, they got pop- they got everything you could possibly need to enjoy these movies. And the giant spider gonna be super enjoyable. I cannot wait for that. Now that is a crash that is happening next Wednesday. There is another crash happening within the next couple of days. In fact, it'll be starting tomorrow on Friday. And it's not happening here in Portland, Oregon. We recognize that we have listeners around the world of Monster Kid Radio, and some of them happen to be in Franklin, Indiana. Scott and Tracy Morris, who have been on the show before, are hosting their own Monster Kid Radio Crash at the Artcraft Theater this upcoming weekend because they are showing almost all of the tentpole classic Universal films. This is happening at the historic Artcraft Theater in Franklin, Indiana. This is a theater that's been around since 1922. It has been restored. I've seen some pictures. It looks amazing. You can find out more about that theater at Historic Artcraft Theater. Theater, and that's theater spelled with the R-E at the end, not the E-R, dot org. Of course, there will be a link in the show notes to that. We will create a Facebook event for this crash. This is, again, happening on Friday and Saturday. Scott and Tracy will be there. So if you are in the area and can join them, walk up to them, tell them that Derek said hi, and have a great time watching these movies. The best thing about these Monster Kid Radio crashes is an opportunity to meet other listeners of Monster Kid Radio, and that just happened to me when I got out of the Satanic Rites of Dracula. I mentioned Jeremiah at the very beginning of the show. I ran into him right after the movie, which is awesome. So big shout out to Jeremiah and Jeff. Jeff is with the Polier Graveyard, which is an outdoor haunt exhibit here in Portland, Oregon. going to try to see if I can find a way to make that happen in my Halloween schedule this year. Sounds awesome. So big shout out to Jeff and Jeremiah. Good to meet you guys. And I hope to see you again at future Monster Kid Radio events or just around town anytime a classic monster movie shows. I also want to say thank you 
to those of you who gave us a few more reviews in the iTunes store. Now, I know not everybody subscribes to the show or listens to the show through iTunes, but I know a lot of you do. If you do, I'm going to ask you to do me a solid. Drop me an honest review in the iTunes store. As of this recording, we only have 19 reviews. Once we hit 50 reviews... I'm going to do something special here on Monster Kid Radio. I'm going to bring in a new feature. I'm going to do something that I've been wanting to do for a while here on MKR. I think you guys and gals are going to dig it. So if you listen to the show through iTunes or subscribe that way, drop us a rating. Give us a review. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, could be a couple of different things. I've got some recordings that I might use unless the interview that I have planned this weekend pans out. And if it does, oh boy, you guys and gals are going to dig it. I don't want to say who it's with because I don't want to jinx it, but if it does work out, I will say this. The master approves. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Papa Soy Uno Zombie by Los Tiki Phantoms. It appears on the album of the same name, and it appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio, by permission of the band. Talk to you next week. (laughs) 